Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. What up, everybody? Hey, 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 good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. And give a shout out to all the CU students who have moved in over the weekend. Woohoo! Glad to have you guys back. All right. Very cool. Hey, if you want to, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to talk about something here while Peter comes up on the stage. Everyone say hello to Peter. Because that couldn't have been done during the three minute break. It's all good. All right, so, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple verses, seven verses out of First Timothy chapter 2. We just finished up a message series here at the Vineyard called Ten of Meeting, which was a series about prayer, and it was a series about meeting with God. And I want to continue on talking this morning about prayer, but I want to jump off from a really different spot and bring into focus a really different perspective And I think one that we really need as the American church, if we can say it that way. Is that all right? So let's do this this morning. We're just going to read these scriptures. And as we read these, this is what you got to keep in mind. This is the Apostle Paul not writing to a church, but writing to a person. Sometimes the Apostle Paul doesn't just write letters to churches, groups of people, but sometimes he would write letters to specific people, and then those specific people would take it to the church. Does that make sense? And in this case, he's writing it to Timothy. Hello, 1st Timothy. And Timothy is probably pastoring the church at Ephesus that Paul had planted. If you read it, you can read about that in the book of Acts. So does that make a little bit of sense? This is why it goes like this. It says this. I urge you, and he's talking to Timothy. I urge you, Timothy, first of all, this is the first thing he wants to say to him. Pray for everybody. And ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Who are they going to give thanks for? Everybody. So right up front, we're seeing this is a challenging piece of scripture. Give thanks for everybody. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everybody to be saved and understand the truth. For there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I've been chosen as a preacher and an apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating. I'm just telling the truth. We'll stop right there. By the way, some of you are like, what what are you reading from, Pastor? I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I highly recommend it. I've given up on the NIV for a while. I change translations about every six or seven months, and I recommend you do too. It keeps things alive. But I'm in love with the New Living Translation lately. I just think it's so cool. Um, There's like a hundred things I'd like to talk about from this passage this morning, but I won't do that. I'm going to hit you with about 99. And um, so I need you to just hang with me. Just hang with me. Uh, But what I really want to talk about this morning is I do want to get to talking about prayer. But before we get there, I need to set the context just a little bit. I need to set the context just a little bit. And Paul, again, he's writing to Timothy. 
uh, who he calls his true spiritual son. So if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, you see that he calls Timothy his true spiritual son. And that's important for us because prayer, prayer in some ways, especially for prayer to be effective and for prayer to do the thing that God wants it to do in the church and in the world, prayer needs to be joined by hearts that know and love each other. This is, this is something we, we, we need to see right up front. Um, because sometimes, because sometimes prayer can turn into this sort of this idea, and maybe you've run into it. Uh, it goes something like this: uh, maybe you're facing some challenge, or somebody you know is facing some challenge, and they know the problem is bigger than them, and even they've begun to pray for it because they know they need God's help. And then they begin to sort of like enlist people to pray with them, and so there's there's just this undercurrent. It sometimes happens with prayer. And the undercurrent goes like this. If we can just get more people to pray with us, then God will have to answer us because prayer is a tug of war. And what we need is more people on our side of the rope. And it doesn't matter really who they are, just as long as they're on our side of the rope. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not saying that's exactly the motivation. I'm just saying it comes off like that a little bit. It's like, what we just need is we just need more people. It doesn't really matter who it is. And they just need to pray, whatever it is. Because if I could get 2,617 people to pray for my mom who's really sick, then God is obligated because we've pulled hard enough on the tug of rope that is the answer. Does this make sense? And I want to tell you that's hogwash. It's not numbers. It's relationship. My true son. And I've also noticed this, and maybe you've noticed it as well, especially in the last three or four years, people, when they're facing challenges, they just, they post on Facebook and they post on Twitter, hey, would you guys pray for me? Like, would you guys pray for me everywhere? And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. And I'm not saying it's sinful, but I have begun to wonder if it's not an indication that you and I are becoming a million miles wide and one millimeter deep. Does this make sense? It makes total sense. Like, Here's the deal. Effective prayer is not if everybody out there prays. Effective prayer starts with true spiritual sons, true spiritual daughters, true spiritual mothers, true spiritual fathers. I'm breaking out my Kanye this morning just a little bit. But that's where it starts. There's a relational aspect to prayer. Where do we start with when we're beginning to settle in on something in prayer? We need to get with those people who actually know and love us. And by the way, when you ask all of Facebook to pray, can I tell you who's praying? Nobody. Can I tell you who's praying? Your true spiritual mom, your true spiritual dad, your true spiritual son, your true spiritual daughter, your true spiritual brother, and your true spiritual sister. That's it. The ones you actually had relationship with in the beginning. Does this make sense? There's something relational about prayer. It's not about trying to convince God to do something he really wasn't interested in. It's about Jesus' real body coming together and setting their minds and hearts to some task. That's really big. See, prayer is not just intellectual or informational. It's relational heart stuff. Paul and Timothy, sons and daughters. That brings me to one other bit of context that I want to get to here. Paul and Timothy. Paul says that Timothy's his true son. Another way we might talk about that would be his student his mentor, his disciple. That's the main word that the New Testament uses, is disciple. And I want us to notice here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, first of all, well, what you need to read there is, this is a spiritual father telling a spiritual son how to run his church. This isn't necessarily just a suggestion. 
This is an admonition and it's a firm, what we might call apostolic instruction. The reason I bring it up is this. If you want to succeed in prayer, you're probably going to need a teacher. Everybody in here is going to need a teacher. Somebody's going to have to help you a little bit. But bigger than that, the thing that sits behind just succeeding in prayer, and the thing I want to talk about just for a moment, is that the dynamic that's in play here is one of, of fathering and one of sonship. And everybody in the room needs, needs a teacher, and everybody in the room needs a student. Everybody in the room needs a mother and a father, and everybody in the room needs a son and a daughter, and you need it right now. This is what it means to be fully alive in Jesus' kingdom and fully alive in Jesus' kingdom purpose. Uh, If you got saved two days ago, you need a spiritual father and you need a spiritual mother and you need a spiritual son and daughter right now. Right now. Even Even if the only thing you know about God is that He sent His Son and somehow, if you put your trust in Him, heaven begins to break into your life. If that's the only thing you know right now, you need somebody right now that you can teach that to. That is what it takes to keep this thing going. Now, here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that most people tend to be one or the other. Most of us tend to be either perpetual students or perpetual teachers. And the break and the disconnect for most of us is at the spot of not being both at the same time. So, for instance, some of us in the room are really comfortable with the idea of input. I need input. I need somebody to father me. I need somebody to mother me. I need somebody to come alongside of me, to teach me, to train me, to put me under their wing, to show me the ropes. I need more input. I need more input. And then some of us in the room are very comfortable with telling and teaching, show me, follow me, do what I say. I've done this before. Just get behind me and let's go. Let's do this. We need both. Like the church is both. And the church is made of people who are all both. The other thing I've noticed is this. Some of this is generational. It tends to be, some of us are just made up a certain way, but then it's also generational. Uh, Millennials love input. And and baby boomers love to tell people. (laughs) And one of the things that we need in the church right now, especially uh, when it comes to being the real church and seeing prayer happen and getting answers to prayer and all these sort of things, is we need millennials to start teaching. And we need, we need, we need baby boomers to start learning again. Baby boomers are holding on so tight. Millennials, millennials are just constantly wanting more and more input. More and more input. I had a really, I thought, enlightening moment on a text thread with, with Ray this week. And uh, Ray was out hanging with the Presbyterians in sunny San Diego all week long. Isn't that a rough gig? (laughs) Anyway, there's a guy who was out speaking where Ray was this week. His name is Mike Breen. And uh, I highly recommend Mike Breen. So if you just run across his stuff, just know that comes with Pastor Adam's seal of approval. You should listen. But anyway, Mike is this really smart British guy who really understands how to do church small and to do church big. He's got some really great ideas. But sort of in an offhanded comment to, to Ray, and then it got passed along to me in the, in the text thread, he, he observed that the millennial generation is the first generation in human history where their upbringing has been completely farmed out to coaches, 
to teachers, to piano instructors, to babysitters. And because of this, there is, a, there is an intense desire on the inside of millennials to be fathered and to mothered, to be mothered, and, and to receive tons and tons of input. So, so there, if you're a millennial, chances are you're just hard, hardwired with this, with this feeling of, of being orphaned in some way, and you just you need input, you need input. And, and here's what I want to tell you this morning. You do need input. And the thing you might need more than that is to get a son and a daughter right now. That's probably the thing you need as much as input. Uh, this is the reason why uh, millennials, all those people who are in their mid-30s, all the way down, but especially one of the things I've noticed that's happening lots and lots in the last four or five years is we've got all these people who are in their late 20s to mid-30s who are completely stuck. Got four degrees, been to three ministry schools, going to go to another ministry school. Why? Because I just need input and I need another degree and I need fathered. And I've had like four pastors tell me and I've had done 19 internships and I've still got no traction. Why? You, what you need right now, as much as you need your spiritual father and mother, is you need some sons and daughters. Start giving away the thing you got. That's what's happening here. And if you're a baby boomer, keep giving it away and find somebody who will pour into you. There's some new things that have happened. There's new ideas in the world. The world's profoundly changing. It's not 1985 anymore. Let's, let's move on, you know? But that's sort of the context here. What, what, is, what is Paul saying? He's telling Timothy, this is how it works. And what I love about this scripture here is that Timothy is sitting right in the middle of this. So he's receiving the instruction from his spiritual father. And what's he going to do with that instruction? He's going to give it away. To who? The church at Ephesus. What's he going to tell them? Well, guys, here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray for everyone. And somehow we're going to learn how to give thanks for everyone. And the reason we're going to do that is because uh, my spiritual dad, Paul, says this is what we've got to do. So let's just learn this. Is everybody okay with that? And they do it. This is what we're called to. Listen, you need somebody above and below. Everybody in here is a garden. Everybody in here is a gardener. And it's interesting to me that the very first thing that Paul wanted to talk to Timothy about was prayer in the church. And the prayer that Paul offers to Timothy in the church, it works a little bit different than the one that you and I typically do. I I don't know about you, but if I sit down to pray, my prayers usually go like this. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for me. And then I'm going to pray for my family. And then I'm going to pray for... So maybe some people who are really sick that I know. And then I'm going to pray for the people that I love in the church. And then I'm going to work outward in these ever-expanding concentric circles until I get bored and then I'll stop. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? I mean, I guess I'm the only one who's honest in this room. <laughs> First we pray for ourselves. We always like, dear Jesus, God, I don't know if you've noticed my life. This is how the prayers go, right? Dear God, I need a million dollars. I need my kids to be good. And dear God, um, I need, I need, you know, you know, that's kind of the way the prayer. And we just work in. But it's interesting that what Paul tells Timothy to do, he says, you need to pray for everybody and you need to ask God to help them. But look at verse two. The thing he's really getting to is I want you to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. So Paul starts at the place that we might not ever get to. 
He says, start out there. And the implication is, work your way back down. And the reason he says to do this is because, A, it's good and it pleases God. But he says, if we can have peaceful and quiet lives, then the reality that Jesus is king can become evident to people. That's the thing that sits behind this whole passage. Uh, Even though we're going to pray for kings and all who are in authority, the thing that sits behind this passage is that Jesus is the actual ruling and reigning king right now. There may be some other authorities, but right now Jesus is the king. And unless we have peace and quiet, it's hard for people to grab a hold of that. Now, how many of you understand that it's a little bit hard for us to grab hold of this passage? Because for the most part, we live in peace and quiet here in the United States. I know that we've been engaged in war, and most of our history as a nation has been us being engaged in war in some part of the world. But at least here on this soil, we've got got peace and quiet, and so this passage remains somewhat abstract. But how many of you understand that Christians in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and the Congo, they read this passage totally different? How many of you understand those are also our neighbors? Yeah. It's important to pick this stuff up. Yeah. 250,000 people have died in Syria. They don't even make the news anymore. Like, it's just, like, we're just kind of bored with it. How many of you understand that uh, less than a year ago that Nepal had a massive earthquake and thousands of people died? How many of you understand that 5,000 vineyard families lost their homes in Nepal? We need to pray that, we need to pray for leaders so that peace and quiet could be established because there's something about tranquility that allows the gospel to go forward and the reality that Jesus is king to be lifted up. Now, what do we do here? So Paul says, we're not going to start from the inside and work our way out. We're going to start on the outside and work our way in for a little while. And he says, we should pray that God would help them. Who are we going to pray for? Everybody. And we should pray that God would help them. The most spiritual prayer ever is just that God would help. And we're going to pray... Uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for them. We're going to pray on their behalf. We're going to pray that God would help them. And then there's this thing. He says, and give thanks for them. Who are we giving thanks for? Everyone. But specifically, who are we giving thanks for? Kings and all who are in authority. Now, the interesting thing here is, is the kings and everybody who's in authority, those are sometimes the hardest people to give thanks for. Those are the people that we usually blame and that we usually curse. Right? You know, if it's not my fault, then it's got to be Obama's fault. That's kind of how the calculus works, especially in the church. Especially in the church. But Paul is offering something different here. One of the things that the church needs to pick up is praying for everybody who's in authority. At some point, it's the church's mission to pray for mayors, judge executives, city councils, governors, presidents, houses of Congress, judges. Like These are things to pick up. And it's serious business. And it's not just to pray that they would do what's right in our eyes. Paul says we have to give thanks for them. I think that's really important. It's the church's mission to find, to find every leader worthy of thanks in some way. And you think, man, this is really, really difficult. You know, especially if you read Facebook and whatnot, you go, Christians are thankful maybe for a few things, but the president isn't one of them. How many of you understand that being unthankful for our leaders is in some ways the most unchristian thing a Christian could ever have going on? Well, for several reasons. Number one, First uh, Timothy chapter 2. Uh, number two, Jesus says, Jesus says this. Even if you consider the president your enemy, Jesus' words are even more profound. He says, pray for your enemies and bless them. Some of us pray for the president and we go like this. God, remove him from office by whatever means possible. 
How many of you think that some of the polarization that exists in America might fall at the feet of the church? Yeah, it's actually our fault. We've cursed, we've cursed our leaders rather than blessing them and praying for them and asking God to help them and being thankful for them. And some of us, I know, are really smart in the room and you're thinking, well, I don't know how I can be thankful for Obama. But what are we supposed to do when you get leaders like Hitler? Some of you are smart. You went there. The reason you thought that is because that's what I was thinking when I read this passage. What about crazy leaders like Hitler and Stalin and Mao? What about those guys? Should we be thankful for them? I think I have some other questions that are maybe a little more interesting. The first thing I want us to consider when we're considering the craziest of the crazy is that when Paul wrote this, he wrote this to a persecuted church that was under Rome's thumb. It was a church that was being persecuted by the Jews and by the state. So these instructions are somehow applicable all the time. Then the second thing that I would like to ask is, how many Hitlers have arisen in the world in the last hundred years? A handful. And they're terrible, right? A handful. We've had Hitler, we've had Stalin, we've had Mao, we've had all these crazy warlords in Africa. But the truth is, we've got a handful. What's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is this. That as bad as these guys are, the chances of you ever having to pray for and pray that God would help somebody like Hitler is very slim. But then, even better than that, there's this other question that sits right underneath that, and it's this question. What would the Hitlers, the Maos, the Stalins, and the warlords around the world, what would happen to them if from a very, very early age, when they were little boys and little girls, when they were teenagers, when they were going to college, and when they were first coming into power, whatever that looks like, what would happen if they had been surrounded by a community of believers who prayed that God would bless them and were surrounded by men and women who were thankful for them and they grew up in an atmosphere of blessing. Is it possible that Hitler might not have been Hitler? Or at least a very different Hitler? The reason I bring that up is because one of the things we have to recognize in the church is that Christian Europe was the seedbed. Christian Europe was the seedbed for two world wars in the last hundred years. And you have to think, how does that happen? I, I, I think there's a million reasons that happens. But I think one of the reasons that happens is that Christian Europe, and by extension, even us here in the United States even now, I think we've grown up and we have taken very seriously our own personal prayer concerns and we've never ever learned how to pray for those in authority above us. We've never learned how to begin to bless people even when they're very young and when they're teenagers and when they're in college. And we've never learned how to engage and be thankful and ask God to help people who are maybe a little bit different than us and maybe profoundly different than us. And I think we have to go, oh, well, maybe we own that just a little bit. Now, how many of you understand we, we're, we're getting ready to transition as a nation into some new president stuff, right? And how many of you are like me, uh, less, than, less than pleased with all of the options? How many of you understand this 
is what we need. This is what we need right here. This is what we need right here. More than ever, we need to pray right now that God would begin to bless, especially those that he has placed in authority above us. It's interesting to, Ma- to me that, that Paul doesn't tell Timothy to go out and pick it. It's interesting to me that he doesn't tell Timothy to go out and demonstrate. It's interesting to me that he does not tell Timothy to create crazy Facebook posts or to stir up all kinds of trouble on social media. He tells him to pray, to pray that God would help and to find a heart of thankfulness for every kind of leader everywhere. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I think we need this going forward. This is part of what we need. Uh, We don't need this just for leaders. This just needs to be the culture and the atmosphere of who we are and especially our house. We need to learn how to see the goodness of God in like little bitty kids and high school people and college people all the way up. People need to be surrounded and absorbed in an atmosphere of blessing and thankfulness and welcome and exchange. I think that changes people. How many of you have been changed? How many of you have been changed because somebody blessed you and prayed for you? You know? So many times over. Like, I'm not even the same person. People prayed for me and they blessed me. And it probably kept me from doing terrible things. Like growing 40 acres of marijuana or something. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Those prayers may have kept me out of jail. (laughs) Possible. See, what the world needs right now, what the world needs right now is disciples, disciples who are making peace rather than making war. Uh, Jesus, in his Beatitudes, says, blessed are the peacemakers. I think that's very interesting. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. How many of you understand there's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers yeah peacemakers are people who are actively working for peace how do we actively work for peace this is one way begin to begin to embody peace in such a way that we can see the goodness in people that we even disagree with that we can begin to see areas where we do agree so that we could work for peace and we could create channels for god's kingdom to come how many of you understand this this will this will throw some loops First thing I need to say is this. I, I'm, I'm profoundly pro-life. Like, I'm pro-life more than most people who are pro-life are pro-life. I don't, even think we should, I don't even think we should execute people. Keep them in jail. But if we're going to be pro-life, let's just be pro-life. Okay. How many of you understand that, that pro-life and nearly every single pro-choice person wants the same thing, which is less abortions? But if we live in a highly polarized world, we might not be able to reach across the aisle and work with people who want to accomplish the same things. How many of you understand those Planned Parenthood videos are demonic and evil? They are. But at the same time, we've got to figure out ways to be thankful and work and find some avenues where God's kingdom can come. Otherwise, we just become more and more polarized, more and more blind, more and more deaf to people that God dearly loves and might just work through. God's got Daniels everywhere. God's got Josephs everywhere. Everywhere. We've got to pick this stuff up. Amen? So God, right now, one of the things he wants to do in America is he wants to release the peacemakers. And by the way, uh, the blessing that comes from being a peacemaker is this. You get called a son of God. Yes. A daughter of God. It's amazing. Why? Because Jesus, who is the son of God, is the ultimate peacemaker. 
That's right. Eventually, the church has to take on the family resemblance. If we have spirit DNA in us, eventually there has to be this family resemblance that comes out. You know, my wife has brown eyes and I have blue eyes. And about half our kids have blue eyes and half our kids have brown eyes. There's, there's this family resemblance that exists. And I believe that our Father wants to put, produce a church that looks like Jesus and to put them out into the earth. How does that happen? When you and I begin to be people who are less interested in political left or political right, and we just say they're all God's children, and we are going to pray that God would help them. And that there's something in them that is wonderful, uh, at, at least if for no other reason, because they were made in His image. And they have the possibility of being someone who could be united with God and do an amazing thing. I mean, they, they have the image of God. We have to begin to think a new way. I, I've got some questions. What if the church were known all over the world as being a voice for peace? What if the devout prayed for tyrants before they became tyrants? That's the question I can't get away from these last few weeks. What if we prayed for tyrants before they ever became tyrants? What if we cut that off the root twice? What if the devout... Mo- that was actually pretty funny. What if the devout mothered and fathered presidents and kings when they were just children? What if the devout had confidence that Jesus was king no matter who was governor or president? Like Jesus is the king. This is the reason I don't get caught up in like political jargon and political insanity. Because here's the deal. I didn't pledge allegiance to that flag. I pledge allegiance to Jesus. He's my king. Bottom line. Moving on. Where is our confidence? That's the question this morning. Where is our confidence? Our confidence is in Jesus 100%. I believe he's the ruler of the universe. I believe that he's going to work all things to good. I believe that he has voted on humanity's behalf and he has written it and signed it in his blood. I believe that he wants everybody to come along with him. I believe he's made a way for anybody who has the slightest bit of of, of trust in their hearts. And even for people who don't have trust, I believe that if he can find a way, he'll grow trust there. I believe that he wants to do that. And I believe sometimes he wants to do that through you and I. And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is this. Is Jesus really in charge? Do I believe it? See, here's the thing. If we we invest too much political interest in who's running our country, we'll inevitably go us versus them and we'll stop praying for them. We'll pray for some. We'll pray for the Republicans who think just like us. So what do we need to do this week? I think we need to do a couple things. We need to pray for our leaders, national, state, local. We're even going to do like a little prayer thing here for the schools on Wednesday. I'd encourage you to come. We need to. Why? Pray for all men. That God would help them. So church, we need to pray this week. And as some of us in the room, and probably all of us, we ought to spend 30 minutes on the internet this week searching out some good thing that every single one of our leaders has done. Every one of our leaders have, have done amazing things. Um, Mayor Tony in town, he's done some great things. Steve Brashear has done some great things. Hadn't done everything I would do? That's okay. He's done some great things. Uh, you should search it out this week. Uh, President Obama has done some great things. Even if, you, even if you profoundly disagree with him, the truth is President Obama has done some really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Here's the thing, I, I, think, I, think he's, I think he's probably 
a really cool dude. And I would give anything to sit down on the back patio and have a tall one with him and kick it for a few minutes. <laughs> Even though he and I had profoundly different ideas about a few things. We need, to, we need to pray for these people. And why don't we do a little research on the internet this week, this week? And why don't we find out some of the really good stuff that they've done? Really, really good stuff. And then lastly, a little bit of action. Uh, everybody in the room, in the next month or two, you need to find a teacher. You need to find a mother or a father and actually listen to them. Not just when they say, you're awesome, but when they say, hey, why don't you pray for people? Bless them. Be thankful for them. And then the other thing I want everybody in the room to do is I want you to find a student. I want you to find a son or daughter. Everybody in here is a garden. Everybody's a gardener. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Awesome. Well, the ministry team this morning is very good. These are world-class ministry team people. Hey, why don't we stand up this morning? We're going to do a little prayer, and then we'll, we'll do different things. Man, we love you, Holy Spirit. You're wonderful. Hey, why don't we just why don't we just pray for some leaders here for a few minutes? We haven't done that in a while here at the Vineyard, but it's part of who we are. God, we just ask that you'd mess that you would uh, that you would bless not mess that you would bless Mayor Tony. God, that you would invade his office with like heavenly wisdom. <coughs> That you would continually bring the right people around him. That he would have ever-expanding avenues of favor with people who know things. God, we also ask that you would touch our governor, Steve Bashir, That you would fill his office up with light. That you would give him amazing ideas. That wisdom, heavenly wisdom, would infiltrate that man's thinking even more. God, we ask that he would have only good counselors. God, we ask that any bad counsel that you would, you would remove it from his ear. God, we ask, for, we ask for our president that you would fill him with heaven's thoughts. God, we just even now, we thank you for him. God, we say that we can be thankful for someone we even sometimes disagree with. God, we thank you for President Obama and what he means to our country. And God, we ask that you would fill his office with light. God, we ask that wisdom and revelation would take root, that they would be demonstrated even in this last year in his office. Father, we ask that his last year would not be a lame duck, that it would, that it would fly, that it would soar, that some of his best work would happen in the last year. God, we ask that stuff that, that would shape our country for a hundred years would be signed and that people's lives would be changed for the better. And we ask this in the name of Jesus who is our true king. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, these people right up here want to pray for you. If you're sick in your body, if you're having a hard time, or if you just need somebody to stand with you, come on up. We want to pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, 
peace to you.